I, I want to tell you the uh, topic of my talk this morning is dealing with disappointment. And um, I would like to thank you for uh, kind of masking your disappointment this morning when you realize that you weren't going to get to hear Jeff Murphy speak. Um, I have family here, my parents, my cousins, and it means a lot to them that you didn't gasp and run for the exit. So we, we do appreciate that. Um, thank you, Jeff. We are, we are fortunate, you know, here at this church uh, and in this community to have, you know, a place where you can come on Sundays and hear such an awesome communicator. So I look forward to it every Sunday, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, as I said, our, uh, our topic this morning is dealing with disappointment. I feel uh, uniquely qualified to speak on this topic because I'm somewhat of an expert at being disappointed and in disappointing others. So uh, you're in good hands today. I've, I've, uh, I've studied and I've spent my whole life preparing for, for, for this moment. Um, but uh, I would like to start by looking at a verse of Scripture in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through, through 5. You'll see it on the screen. And it says, not only that, this is the Apostle Paul talking, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Isn't that great news? You're welcome, by the way, and be encouraged. Uh, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. I, I think that'd be on the next slide. And hope does not disappoint. Now I'll pause right here and say, most of us at this point would go, Excuse me? That's all that hope does is disappoint. I mean, let's be real. I mean, you know, we, we get our hopes up, stuff doesn't happen, and we're disappointed. And yet the Bible is telling us hope doesn't disappoint. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to come back to this verse at the end of the message, and we're going to talk about it. But uh, I want to talk about, I mean, we're going to kind of get towards the idea that there is a hope that that doesn't disappoint. A new hope, if you will, a, a veiled Star Wars reference uh, on May the 4th. Be with you. Okay, thank you. Um, so, I, a hope that does not disappoint. Can it be? We'll talk about that here, here in just a moment. Um, I was, uh, had a really cool experience just a couple of weeks ago listening to sports radio, ESPN radio, as I often do, and I heard this national sports uh, caster, uh, this host of a show, and he was talking about obnoxious New York Yankees fans. Any New York Yankees fans in the house today, please raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. My father is one of them. He's actually emphatically waving his hand at this point. Um, and terribly embarrassing. No, it's all good. It's all good. Many Yankees fans, I want to say this is not personal. I don't hate you personally. I hate your team with the white hot heat of a thousand suns. I, I believe that every time the Yankees lose, an angel gets its wings. That's how strongly I feel about this team. So he was talking about New York Yankees fans and how freaked out they get anytime something bad happens to their team. And he says, I want to give you three words that will help you understand Yankees fans. Three words. Need, expectation, anger. And what he was saying was, Yankees fans have a need. A need to win all the time. 
every time. And you hear them call on the radio show and they say, Yo, what, what? We're the Bronx Bombers here. We got Babe Ruth. We got DiMaggio. We got Mano. We got Reggie. We got Jeter. We got Mariano. We're blessed. What do you want? Forget about it. And they expect that they're going to win all the time. And they have a group of people that they place those expectations on. So they have the need to win. And they have the expectation that the owners and the manager and the players are going to come through for them. And if those people don't come through and meet their expectations, they end up very angry. And they call in and they bother the radio hosts. And that's why he was ranting against them. And the real truth is that all fans do that. And those of us who hate, hate the Yankees were just jealous. It's true. We wish we, our team won as much as your did, yours did. But I watched it and I thought, need, expectation, anger. And I went, wait a second. This is the diagram of disappointment in all human relationships. We have a need. We have something or, or a perceived need, whether it's real or not. We think we need it or we really do. And it's really important to us. And then there are people who we expect are going to be a part of meeting that need. The people in our lives, our, our, our bosses, our friends, our children, our, our spouses, our church people, our church leaders, our government, whatever. Those are the people that should meet that need. And if they don't, we end up ticked off. And we have all these emotions that are running through us. So this is how... It works in our lives. And this is how all human relationships work. And those who are wise would learn to talk in their relationships, you know, about how that flows and how you work it out. And, and, and you get through those emotions. But many of us don't. And especially when it comes to people that we were really counting on, the people that were closest to us, the people we've entrusted uh, a lot of our hopes and expectations into, and they let us down. It's devastating. And our hearts are sick, and we're depressed, and all the emotions start to, uh, to, to, to mushroom after that. This is how disappointment plays out in our lives. I believe that God can help us with this thing, you know, this uh, dynamic. And I believe that if we were to allow him, he could heal us. He could heal us of the hurt and the disappointment and the burns that we've that we've experienced, and he can show us how to deal with all the emotions that come from it if we'll let him, and if we were to let him do that, then he's going to ask a few things of us. And he's going to start by asking, God is going to ask for our attention. He's going to ask for our attention. Now, to illustrate this point of God asking for our attention, I want to tell you an Old Testament story of this really bizarre family that was uh, headed up by a guy named Jacob. And he was a really important uh, figure in the, uh, in the Old Testament narrative. Jacob, as a young man, he fell for this, this girl named Rachel. And he was in crazy, stupid love with Rachel. I mean, he, she was everything to him. He goes to her father and asks for her hand in marriage. And he says, sure, you can marry my daughter if you work for me in my family business for seven years. And Jacob said, worth it, because she was awesome. And so he does that. And he works for seven years, and he can't wait. And the Bible says, it's, it's so romantic. It says that seven years was like one day to Jacob. Isn't that awesome? Gentlemen, you might want to use that line sometime. 
Far be it from me to give relationship advice, but I'm just thinking. So here's the thing. Here's, here's the deal. He is got, it's getting close to the wedding week. It's a big festival they're going to have, and it's going to be awesome. Now, I will pause here to tell you there's an interesting twist to the story. Rachel has a sister. Her name is Leah. Now, Leah is the older sister, and in the custom of the day, the older sister would get married first. Bible tells us that Rachel, the younger sister, dropped dead gorgeous. Leah, not so much. I'm sure she was a nice person, but she was not very good looking. And so, but and Ra- and, and Rachel was the one that Jacob was in love with. Well, Ra- Rachel and Leah's dad was a little bit of a shyster, kind of a con artist. And as the wedding approached, he formulated a plan and he figured out a way that where he could get his older daughter married off first. And so we don't understand all exactly how it happened, but when you read the Bible story, it says that uh, dad brought the daughter to Jacob and it was at night and it was dark and there was a veil over the face and there may have been alcohol involved but we don't know bottom line he sent Leah to Jacob and Jacob married Leah and didn't even know it till the next morning and he said dang nabbit I married the wrong sister and so he's really upset he goes to uh to to Paul-in-law and says what excuse me what you know and so they work it out Eventually, very, not that long after, he's able to marry Rachel. And so now he is, he's married to both of them. I know that sounds weird. So, but he is married, he's the very first sister wives. And so there they are. They go on through the early years of their marriages. And Leah, ever, she knows that she's not the favored wife. She knows that she's not loved. She knows her sister is loved more than her. And it's just gut-wrenching, you know, as you see this play out. It's such a messed up family. But what does happen is that Leah is, uh, th- does bear some children for Jacob. She, she gets pregnant multiple times, has several sons. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story and, and the verses in Genesis chapter 29. And each time that Leah has a son, which was a really big deal in that time, it's a very honorable thing for a man to have multiple sons. So she was doing good as a wife, basically, and, uh, and yet she was not loved. But she says something, she kind of made this statement, this declaration, every time she had a, one of these sons. And we're going to look at them real quick, starting in verse, uh, I think, 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben, uh, named her son after a sandwich. It's weird. But... That didn't work in the first service either. Why did I try it again? But anyway, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, which is being unloved, now my husband will love me. <laughs> That's sad. I mean, my gosh. Well, but guess what? Jacob didn't start loving her anymore, even after the son. Well, she has an, a, another son. Let's look at the next one. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated. He has given me this son also. Oh, my gosh, this is brutal. Next, next, the third son comes along. She, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now, this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Now, this time, finally, he's going to come around. Can you see this playing out? 
She has this need, this very legitimate, reasonable need to be loved and accepted by her husband, especially after all they've been through together. She's given him three sons. And yet he's dropping the ball and he's not providing, he, he, he's failing her. And, and in her emotion, she's saying, maybe this time, maybe it's going to be different. But it doesn't change. Now, we're going to look at the next verse and it says, and she conceived again. She bore a fourth son. And before we look at what she says, I just want to pause and I just want to ask you, can you imagine how difficult it was for Leah? I mean, you just got to function day in and day out. You're raising these kids and, and all you want is to be loved and, and appreciated and valued. And yet she's not. I think we can imagine how it felt. And here's why I think we can, because we've felt that before. I mean, I'm not, maybe not exactly the way it played out in her life, but let's be honest. We have had those needs, and, 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 then, we, and then we had people that we thought might meet those needs, or at least help meet those needs. And it was, I mean, it's not unreasonable for, for her to think, why, why can't my husband? Is it too much to ask in, the, in my family that I, that I be valued and, and loved and appreciated? And respected? I mean, I've done a lot for this company. Why is, there no, why is there no reward for me? It's not unreasonable. And my gosh, how can the people that call themselves the people of God be the ones that let me down? It's, this, is wh- this is where we live. This is life. And we end up with this pain. And, but on... But what happened with Leah was at some point along the way, she saw where her life had played out. She didn't like it, but she realized it may never change. What do you do when you're afraid it'll never change? What do you do when you think it'll never get better? I propose we do what Leah did, because when her fourth son was born, she didn't, this is what she said. This time, I will praise the Lord. This time, I'm not going to look to my husband for the deepest needs in my life, which he's already proven that he can't meet. This time, I'm not going to just put all my identity and confidence in the fact that maybe my life will get better. This time, I'm just going to praise the Lord. Look, I, I live, I live a, 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 in my life day to day, week in, week out, month in, month out, with a, lot of, with a lot of this dynamic playing out. You know, I've been, as Jeff was mentioning, I've been divorced for five years now. And there are hopes that I have and dreams that I have and ex- that I don't know if they'll, there are things so, so, so broken up in my life, I don't know if they'll ever be put back right. And so I have to decide, what am I going to do with that? Am I just going to, am I going to be a part of this, this emotional mess over here? Or am I going to just say, maybe, yeah, I still wish things could change. But this time, I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm going to turn my attention to God. Here's what I would suggest we do. I would suggest that we make a little room, a little more room in our minds and in our hearts for God. 
carve a moment or some space in our thoughts and in our hearts that even in the coming weeks to just let God in a little bit. You know, when Leah said, this time I will praise the Lord, I'll tell you, the story didn't change. Nothing changed about how everything was playing out for her. Her husband didn't change. The family didn't change. It was just as messed up as it was, you know, when, when this whole thing started. But you know what I think did change? I think she changed. And I'll tell you from my own experience, I, have, I am powerless to change most everything, you know, around me. But I think God is changing me. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. So make a little room for God. I, it, it, give yourself some time to hear. Think, I mean, play some music. Just to carve a few minutes out of your day where you hear the kind of music that we send. This is just a suggestion. I mean, but, but like the, the, that we sing here, you know. Listen to the things that God would be saying and not, don't wait till next Sunday for that. You know what I mean? Carve a little bit of time and see what God might do. Maybe some wonderful changes could happen on the externals, but I, I guarantee you the changes will happen on, on the inside of you. And you may say, look, I am overlooked. I am used up. I'm, I'm cast aside. I'm so far behind. What's the use? This time, praise the Lord. This time, praise the Lord. This is what we should do. There was a, a hymn that we used to sing when I was a kid in church. Hymns uh, out of this awesome hymn book in the Baptist church. It was like our music set, um, just not as loud, <laughs> you know, back then. And, uh, and there was this song that said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory in grace. So that's my, that's where I think God starts with us. When we are twisted up and wrapped up in disappointment, God says, give me a little attention and just watch what I can do in your heart. I tell you, everything on the outside gets a little better when your heart gets a little less tangled up. That's in my experience. So I believe God would ask for our attention. I also believe that God would ask for our mess. I think God asks for the messiness of our lives and all its tragic gooeyness. I think he wants us to bring our mess to him. You see, for in my life, and, and, and like I said, you know, I've, I've been dealing with this new kind of normal for about five years. And all my adult life up till five years ago, I lived with a lot of sin and a lot of secrets and I dealt, and I, I did battle against these in, in secrecy and isolation. And I never fully opened up about the problems I was having and the sins that I was battling, the temptations and the lust and pornography and things that just I never wanted to be honest about with people. And, uh, and it ended up undermining everything and crumbling my, my relationships, my marriage, and many other relationships, and, and I've lost just about everything in the midst of all that. And so that was, that's what started this weird, crazy journey that I've been on. 
But when I decided that I was going to give some attention to God and I was going to this time praise the Lord, kind of like Leah did, I started sensing personally some spiritual momentum and I started feeling some healing start to come and that was awesome. But after that started happening, God started revealing, showing some, me some things about the way I thought and the way I felt that I didn't realize that were in me. And there was this story I want to tell you about something funny, amazing that happened to me uh, a few years ago when I lived in Birmingham that, that helped me with this. Um, I was driving to church one Sunday morning. I lived about 20 minutes from the church I attended in Birmingham. And uh, I, t- I got to tell you, there's something about me. I live for Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings, favorite part of my week. I, it was that way back then in Birmingham. It is now. I just, I know that God is with me all week. I know that's true. But I can't wait to come together with y'all and us do the stuff we do together uh, in, in experiencing God and hearing the, I, I just, I love it all. I love it all. And so I'm driving to church on Sunday morning and I am so jazzed. I just feel like something great's going to happen. Like God's going to do something in my heart when I get to church and I'm, I'm happy and everything. And I can't even tell you what happened or how exactly it played out, but something triggered in my mind this old, you know, cycle thing. And before I even realized it, something reminded me of my needs and flaws and the expectations and hopes that I had that were disappointed. And before I knew it, two, three minutes later, I'm standing, I'm I'm, I'm sitting, no, I'm not standing. That would be weird uh, if I was driving and standing. But I'm sitting there driving and I'm clenching the steering wheel and I'm ate up with anger. And I'm cursing myself for everything I did. And I'm thinking of people that I have resentment and and bitterness against. And I'm just, man, I'm telling you, and this is not, no joke, my mind went dark fast that day. The truth is, that happens all too often. But I was going to church, and I was really looking forward to connecting with God, and then suddenly, oh, and do you know what the first thought that came to my mind once I kind of tried to shake it off and say, oh, no, I don't want to go there, but, like I was already there. But the first thought that came to my mind was, uh, I've just ruined my Sunday. I was so looking forward to going and hearing the music and getting into the God thing, and now it's busted. And the best I can hope for, I mean, I'm still going to go, you know, because God lets me in the room, you know. <laughs> Um, but I'm not going to be like really close to him. Not, not like it would have been if I had stayed clean in my mind. Now I'm going to have to just kind of hope that maybe next week I'll do better and then I'll have a really good Sunday. I'll have an okay Sunday today, but then next week I'll have a really good Sunday. And I was thinking this. This is what I believed. I, really, I realized that what I believed was, th- this thought was that the, the less messy my life is the closer I can be to God. The, uh, the more I uh, clean up the mess, the more God's going to be happy with me. And the more my meaningful worship times are going to be with him. That's what I really believed. Well, anyway, I keep driving and I do my thing, which I do on Sunday mornings. I go to Starbucks because I'm a coffee snub. And I go to have pregame. I like to call it pregame. I go, I sit at Starbucks, I 
I journal a little bit, I read a little bit, I post something clever and spiritual on Facebook, it's awesome. And so I, I'm doing all that, and I go to this, this story in the New Testament about Jesus, and, and we're going to look at that here in just a minute in the, in the book of Luke, where he goes to, church, to a church service, and there's a man in the church service that he attends, the Bible said he has a withered hand. A, a literal uh, physical handicap that's, that's impacting him and causing things to be real difficult and all that. So he's got the guy is, is there with a withered hand. Now there were these, these uh, religious leaders. They're called Pharisees. They were the big wigs in the churches back then. And Christians like me always make fun of the Pharisees because they were such losers. And they would make up all these rules uh, uh, rules that God had nothing to do with, but they made this strict structure that only you had to be really, really good to be in with God. And so we make fun of it. So there were Pharisees there, and they were kind of, they actually believed that it would not be appropriate for Jesus to heal that guy in church, because church is supposed to be a holy experience. And how dare this guy bring this weird physical deformity in and expect God to do something about it. You just, you can be here, but stay in the back of the room. This is what the Pharisees thought. And I'm like, that morning I'm going, idiots, how stupid is that? And then it's almost like I heard God chuckling in the background. And I went, wait a second. That's what I did on I-65 five minutes ago to myself. I said, God is not happy with this. Therefore, you know, I can go to church because I know God still loves me kind of because he has to, but he's not going to really happy with me. And so I can't bring that, that that darkness into my church moment, my God moment, because God's holy and I'm not. And I realized, dude, I'm a Pharisee. I've gone Pharisee on myself I was telling this story. I had this one lady in the first service. She looked at me. I said, she was like, ooh, you're just a whole bundle of issues, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yes, uh, you have no idea. Bless your heart, you know. But anyway, that's, that's where I was. And I realized, wait a second, Jesus was there to bust up all of that thinking and change the way I approached that. So we're going to look at a verse here in a second. Jesus sees the guy, he sees all the religious leaders, and check out what he does. In the, in the verse from Luke chapter 6, and after looking around at them all, Jesus said to him, to the guy with the hand problem, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And I'm sitting there in Starbucks, and I have a boom, God moment, where I realized God is telling me, stretch out your hand. You know, whatever it is that is withered about me, I don't have to stand in the, on the back row and hope I get better before I, I, I come to God. That's why he wants me to come right now and stretch out my hand towards him. Stretch out your hand, Jesus said, and it will be made whole. And we can start untwisting this thing that you find yourself in, that you've put yourself in, that that life has dealt to you. Stretch out your hand, and God can start healing it. So what I believe 
this taught me, and I'd, I'd like to present to you today, is that regardless of what you think about what you've done or has been done to you and how you think that that may have disqualified you from certain layers of connectedness with God or effectiveness or growth or healing or health, Jesus is here today and he wants to blow all that out of the water, just like he did for me in Starbucks and more importantly, just like he did for, for this guy all those centuries ago. You see, I, uh, I don't know, I, I love worshiping, I love the band, and when the band plays, I like to worship God in a kind of a demonstrative, you know, I'm very white and I have no rhythm, but I, I try to move and... Uh, and, and I, I, I like to lift my hands during worship. Some people don't. It's no big deal one way or the other. It's just my thing. See, I talk with my hands when I'm talking to you. So it stands to reason, you know, I talk to, my, to God with my hands too. So it makes sense, right? So, but I have this thing that happens to me when I sometimes, and it happens a lot. When I'm in church or wherever I'm at, just having a God moment, and maybe I'm raising my hands to God, I have a voice that I hear in my head. And this voice says to me, you know, you got a lot of nerve raising your hand up to God like that. I know what you did. I know what you've done. There are people walking this earth right now, a bunch of people, that have a lot of pain and heartache because of you. What business do you have reaching your hand out to God? You're the most messed up person in this room. And that's the voice I hear. But I'm starting to learn, you know what? You know what? Maybe I am. Maybe I am the most messed up person in this room. But that's why I stretch my hand out to God. That is why I try to worship Him. That is why I, I reach towards Him. Because I need Him that bad. And whatever it is that you think... It disqualifies you or minimizes you or waters you down in terms of your God experience, stretch out. If Jesus were standing right here the way he was with that guy in this story, what would he say? He'd say, stretch out your hand. He'd say, bring it to me. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to be afraid of it. And you definitely don't have to try to fix it yourself. I am here. I've got this. We can do this. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Will you stretch out your hand to the Lord this morning? Because he wants to bring healing into your life. And I am telling you, from my story, and I'm still, I still got a lot of hopes and expectations dangling out there. Who knows what's going to happen, but my story will tell you anything is possible. Anything is possible if you give God some attention and you just bring your mess to him. Stretch out your hand to him. Now, there's one more thing that God's going to ask of us, and it's kind of the last thing, and we'll bring this thing home here. He's going to ask for a risk, for us to take a risk because what I've described to you up until this point is awesome and it's like a cool glass of water 
to a, uh, to a thirsty soul, to make room for God, to give God some attention, to see what he could do in changing our heart, to stretch out the, the most twisted, messed up parts of us to him and see, if, see what he can do with it. That's awesome. At some point along this journey, God is going to take us back to that idea of people and, 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 and that when we have needs, we are going to have some hopes and some expectations that there might be some people God's going to bring into our lives to help meet those needs or to, to be in relationship with us. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? It's a scary thought to open back up and let people back in. I told you we were going to go back to that verse in Romans. Let's look at that again. We're going to skip that first John verse. We're out of time, so we're jumping to, back to Romans. It says, hope does not disappoint. How, how, what an audacious statement. How can that be? Hope does not disappoint because the love of God, the perfect love of God, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The perfect love of God has been poured out over imperfect, into our imperfect hearts. But it means that if God is a part of this dynamic, we can take a risk. We can risk it. You got to risk it to get the biscuit. Y'all ever heard that? I love that phrase. Thank you. So, there's going to be a time where we're going to have to take that risk. And we're going to have to face the truth about what we believe. And this is with, I'm going to say something with all due respect to your nana or whoever in your family who used to say this phrase and have this advice to you. Maybe it's you who give this advice to others. Maybe it's your Facebook friends who post the cute little quotes and you like them. But the, the, the philosophy that basically seems like, here's, I'll tell you how to solve disappointment. Just stop counting on anybody. Don't, don't ever open your heart that much to anybody and you won't be disappointed. Now that sounds like some good advice. And again, all due respect to those of us whom we love and respect that believe that. But I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that's the way that God would have us to do our hearts. Because... I believe that if I'm like that, I'm going to shrink deeper and deeper into this, uh, this emotional quagmire from being disappointed. The reason I say that is because I believe, I believe whatever, here, here's the thing. I am too old and too tired to spend my, the rest of my life trying to protect myself from being disappointed. And we have to make this decision, how are we going to play this? Because whatever I spend all my time and energy avoiding, that thing's going to keep a grip on me. The thing that I spend all my time trying to protect myself and avoid, that thing's going to become the monster under my bed. And I'm going to be afraid of it. And then it owns me. You follow? So what do we do with disappointment? Do we just, do we shrink back? Do we keep the walls up? Or do we, after allowing God to really get in play in the emotions and the witheredness, do we, instead of shrinking back, do we reach towards him and, and take the risk? 
and take the chance on him and take the chance on his people to maybe let some people in and say, maybe we can do this. Maybe I can. Maybe hope isn't dead. Maybe Paul, the apostle, put that in the, in the book of Romans because he really does believe that messed up, imperfect people with the love of God poured out into their hearts, they might have a chance at learning to deal with disappointment and hope can live. Hope is not dead. But it's going to take some risk on our part. So as we wrap up, and I, I, I'd like to ask the band to come on up because we're just about done. Um... I would like to ask you all to think about what might be uh, a next step that the Lord would have you take at today or in the days to come. You know, for some of us, maybe the next step is, maybe we've never, like, initiated or, or started a, uh, a connection with God. Or relate, maybe you've never asked Jesus to become the leader and forgiver of your life. There truly is no hope for health, dealing with disappointment in a healthy way in my opinion, without Christ. And, and, and that maybe that's our step today. Maybe that's, you know, I want to know that Jesus is my leader and my forgiver. Maybe for some of us it's about, maybe you're, I mean, you might be here for the first time in my church or for the first time in a long time, whatever the case may be. Maybe for, for you, it's a, your next step is kind of coming back to Christ, to taking a chance on Him again. For some of us, I really believe that what we should consider is taking a step towards other people. Maybe not a lot of people. Maybe not people we don't know or we're scared of, but, but asking God to bring somebody into our life where, that could help us. That we could talk about this disappointment cycle that we've been living in all our lives. Look, I'm not a therapist, or, nor the son of a therapist, but I'll but I know a good therapist. <laughs> and we, we, do we not? We know people that, could, that can help folks. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's not like, you know, a counselor type of thing. Maybe it's you just need some friends to, come al- friends to come alongside you. Whatever the case may be, would you be willing today to take a risk and ask God, God, are you going to bring somebody into my life? Are you going to allow me to draw myself out towards them? We're a part of a church here that uh, we believe in bringing our messiness and our witheredness to God. So it's a good place to take the risk. It's a good, good time, good time to do it. I want to pray with us as we close.